You are listening to a teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Exodus. The book of Exodus underlines God's desire to rescue people from their misery to a life of promise, meaning, and fulfillment. This eight-week series explores key moments within Exodus in order to more fully appreciate God's love for people. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. We're continuing in Exodus, and um, you know, this book in its core is a story. And it's a story about a people who have been in bondage and they're being delivered from their bondage. In my life, my life's similar to that. My life's a story. And it's a story of uh, someone who's been in bondage and has needed to be delivered from bondage throughout my life. When I was young, it was uh, bondage to uh, a longing for friends. I was a loner in my early teens and would have given anything to have the approval of my peers, but uh, couldn't get it. And then it became a longing for a girl. I couldn't get a girlfriend to save my life. And, and uh, that led me to an obsession, just an absolute obsession with my image, where uh, I, I could not measure up to my own standard for how I needed to look. Because I thought if I just got there, wherever there was, that somehow some woman would be interested in me. And uh, when that didn't work out the way that I wanted, that led to a serious addiction to pornography. And then later in life, the thing I've faced in the most recent years has been just this constant feeling of not measuring up, that I'm just constantly failing in life, this addiction to the hope of a life filled with success. And that's a lose-lose, because if I get it, if I am successful, then I'm just filled with pride. I get all puffed up. I think it's me. I'm self-reliant instead of relying on God. If I don't get it, if I'm not successful, I'm just crushed under the weight of my own expectation. I have, my life is a story of being in bondage and needing to be delivered from that bondage. And you know what? All of us, our life is a story of that. If we're honest, like if we can take off the, I'm at Sunday and it's church, I'm supposed to have a smile and my church clothes on for just a sec, keep your clothes on, but if we can, you know, take that off for a second and just be honest. Like we all have bondage in our life that we need to be delivered from. And it could be a number of things. It could be an addiction. It could be alcohol, pills, drugs, pornography. It could be a relationship, a relationship you know you shouldn't be in, maybe with someone here. And maybe he leans over, maybe it's not us. And you know you shouldn't be in it. But you just, you can't escape this, like, need to be in this relationship. It could be uh, similar to me, this feeling of just being like this subtitle on your life, like your name, and then there's the subtitle of failure. A mother who's a failure, a father who's a failure, a husband who's a failure, an employee who's a failure, a person who's a failure. You just always feel you're not measuring up. Or it could be sometimes worse, emotional bondage, maybe depression. Just living life with this cloud that it feels like no matter what you try and do, no matter how much power of positivity you try, you can't get out from under this cloud of just the weight of depression. Or anxiety, which creeps up on you and just, fe- it just feels like it, it overtakes you. It, it, it makes you absolutely incapable of facing life because of how much fear fills you in an instant. Whatever your bondage is, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take the top of your bulletin and the pen in the chair in front of you. I want you to just write, honestly, what's your bondage? What's the bondage in your life that 
right now, you just, you cannot seem to get past it. You just, you feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place with this thing. And you're not able to get out. Go ahead and just write it on the top of your bulletin, whatever it is. And yes, at the end, you can scribble it out real dark so no one sees it, you know. You can even rip that part out and put it in your pocket and take it home and throw it away. Unless someone looks at your trash. Just write it in there, whatever it is. Here's what I want for today. I believe that whatever your captivity, whatever your bondage, that God wants to speak a word today. And it's a word of deliverance. And he wants to speak it over our lives. And he wants us to walk out of here today as free people. Because I believe that's what Christ has purchased for us. That's what this story is all about. The Israelites, they were in Egypt. They were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. Now, if you can imagine 430 years of slavery, sometimes we approach these stories like, uh, you know, Sunday school. We kind of approach it like a fairy tale, like, oh, yeah, they were slaves, and they went through the Red Sea, and they're free. Wasn't it wonderful? And it doesn't, uh, like, affect us. But this is real. This is the real stuff. Like, this is, this is history written down for us to see and be edified by. And 430 years, Israel is in slavery to the Egyptians who are an incredibly oppressive people. As we saw last week, the Passover happens. They put the blood of the lamb on their door. Pharaoh's heart finally is filled with enough fear from God, what God might do to him if he doesn't let these people go, that Pharaoh releases the Israelites. And the Israelites, for the first time in 430 years, are free. 430 years which means if you, were a, if you were living at the time that the freedom, the, the, the exodus of the Israelites happened, that your parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great-grandparents, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents all would have been slaves. There would have been no thought in your mind that was different from that of a slave. And all of a sudden, they're free. Not only that, they've got all this jewelry and gold. I mean, they've, they're, they're blinging it up. They are enjoying their freedom. And not only that, God is walking with them. God has promised them, I've, I've brought you out. I'm taking you to a place that is filled with blessing, blessing in every way you can imagine. Physical blessing, relational blessing, spiritual blessing, economic blessing, every blessing, favor you can imagine. That is where God is taking them. Not only that, God is with them the whole way. As a matter of fact, it says, you know, they're, they're kind of camping. They're, they're, they're traveling and they're camping and During the day, God's leading them by a pillar of cloud so the sun isn't beating down on them. At night, he's leading them by a pillar of fire. It's like camping in luxury, you know? I mean, God's there with you, and you don't have have to make a campfire. You don't have to go find wood. Just a pillar of fire right there. It's nice and warm. God's leading you. And that's what brings us to Exodus chapter 14. And I'm just going to read this whole story, which is 31 verses. So you might want to buckle up, but the Bible's good, so we're going to read the Bible today. And uh, Exodus chapter 14, it'll be on the screen for you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharioth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will save the people of Israel. They're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people. 
And they said, what is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped by the sea, by Pi-Harioth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Might be the only time in the Bible God says, Stop praying. Just get on with it. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning when the Lord, I'm sorry, and in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians." Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. 
Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for this story. Thank you for history that shows us again and again that you are faithful, that you are powerful, and that you deliver. God, I thank you that you're faithful, you're powerful, and you deliver us today. I thank you that this story is a story we can look to and just know your faithfulness, your kindness, your loving hand, your leadership. God, I pray for each and every one of us here today that whatever we're in bondage to, wherever our captivity is, whatever we're not laying at the feet of Jesus, that we would find strength to stand, that we would find strength to not fear, and that we would submit ourselves to the Lord in such a way that we would walk in the freedom that Christ purchased for us. I thank you, Lord, that you bought our freedom, and we are free indeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Did you make it? We got through it. There's your Bible reading for today. You can go enjoy the park now. So here we are. Israel has been led by God. They're in front of the Red Sea. They turn back and they see the Egyptian armies. And they're stuck between the Egyptian armies and the Red Sea. And verse 10 tells us that, what does it say? Verse 10, it says, they feared greatly. You know, fear, it has this way of, it just comes upon you. You see something or you think something. Maybe you're faced with something in life and suddenly you're just gripped by fear. Your day was okay. Life was going good. And then all of a sudden, fear storms in and it just, it robs your joy. It immobilizes you, especially fear of the future. It makes you forget. It robs you of objectivity. It, it causes you to see things in a different way. It dominates your thinking. The Israelites hated being in Egypt. When Moses brought the word in uh, Exodus chapter 4, that, hey, God's spoken to me. We're going to get out of here. You know how they responded? It says they believed and they rejoiced. And now they see Egypt again. And they say to Moses, why why, did you lead us out? We told you we would have rather stay. All of a sudden, they remember Egypt differently than it really was. Egypt was hard. Slavery was hard. It wasn't a good life. And all of a sudden, they're gripped by fear, and they're seeing their past in a light that isn't real. Fear has a way of doing that. It distorts your reality. When does that happen in your life? When does fear cause you to think, you know what, my life would be better if I just went back to my old ways, to a life without God, if I just quit coming to church, if I just quit trying to follow Jesus, if I just went back, it's so much easier. You know, one commentator said, it's easier to get a people out of slavery than it is to get slavery out of a people. The Egyptians, they, the Israelites, they see the Egyptians And their heart is still acting, reacting like a slave instead of the free people that they are. They've been so led by God, so cared for by God, so delivered by God, they should have known he'll make a way where there is no way. But suddenly they go back into a slave mentality. They subject themselves to fear, which is running their response. You know, God, he commands us not to fear. God commands us not to do a lot of things. He says, don't steal, don't covet, don't lie, don't commit adultery, don't murder, all these things. He says, not do. And, you know, you and I, like, when we hear those things, we kind of categorize as, okay, those are things I shouldn't do. If you murdered someone today, and, you know, and then someone asked you what happened, you're like, I don't know, it just came over me, I couldn't help it. You'd be like, no, you murdered someone. 
That's something God commanded us not to do. God doesn't command us not to do things we don't have the power to do. We don't have the ability to do. He says, don't fear. Therefore, fear. You know, it feels like something that just comes over you. It's out of my control. If you've ever had a panic attack, if you've ever had serious anxiety issues, you know this. It just feels like, oh, man, I, can't, I cannot control what's happening to my body right now. I am just crippled by fear. But actually, it's something God commands us not to do, which means he's given us the ability to not do it. So we need to take responsibility and not fear. I've got a question for you. What are you afraid of? And not just like spiders, you know. I mean, I don't like spiders either, but and maybe it is for you. I don't know. Maybe you have that. But what is it for you that keeps you up at night? What is it for you that when you daydream about it during the day, which you probably daydream about it a lot because you're so afraid of it, it feels like you're having a mini, mini panic attack? Is it that relationship that you've probably put a little too much stock in, that if that relationship left your life, or maybe the relationship you don't have yet that you wish you had, and your fear is, I'll never have it. Is it that? Maybe it's your finances. The bills are just stacking up. You're just like, I just, I can't even face this anymore because it absolutely cripples me. Maybe it's, I don't know, fill in the blank, whatever it is for you. But it's an, it's an important question because whatever we're afraid of, whatever overcomes us like that, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your work, maybe you're afraid, I'm going to lose my job and it's just, my life's going to spiral out if I lose this job which would be true if you didn't belong to God. What is it? Because whatever that is, it's probably a window into our heart, probably showing us something that we've put more stock in than we should have. Probably showing us something that to us has become bigger than God himself. Because when God is bigger than everything else in life, although those things are hard, not to diminish that, we're able to look at them and say, yeah, that's difficult, but... God is on my side. God is my deliverer. Therefore, I can trust myself to him. You know, that's what the Israelites didn't do. They saw their Egyptians coming, and they were filled with fear. Pessimistic thinking looks at the worst and believes the worst. Pessimistic thinking looks at the Egyptians and says, oh, there's no way. We're done. The cheap, positive thinking that our culture is filled with says, oh, this is a beautiful day. What Egyptians? They're not going to hurt us. It's okay. It's, everything's going to be all right. Just speak positivity over yourself, and you'll be fine. No, speak positivity over yourself. If God's not there, you're dead. You're dead. Faith is not cheap positivity. Faith is not pessimism. Faith is saying, without God, we're toast. Without God, my life would be in shambles. But God, that's faith. God says, don't fear. You know what he says instead of fear? He says, Exodus 14, 13, here's what he says. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. That's it. That's it. Just stand. Stand firm, but just stand. Not go make it happen. Don't go collect swords. Go do all, No, just stand and see the salvation of the Lord. The Israelites were ready to pack it up. They were ready to just go back to a life of slavery, because that would have been easier than just dying there. It's easy to back down, to quit, you know. You, you feel God's brought you into something. You feel God's called you into something. 
and all of a sudden, fear grips your heart. And it's easy to just want to back down. And you know what? The people in our lives, our spouses, our friends, our coworkers, they probably won't see when we quit because we quit internally before we ever make the decision externally to quit. You know what I'm talking about? Because if you're in a marriage and you thought marriage would be a certain way, like you thought your spouse would be a certain way, you thought he was like the one, and then you get married and he's barbaric and doesn't shower, and is crazy, and you're like, what happened? Or you thought, like, oh, if we just have kids, I'll be fulfilled, or if, we just, if I just get him, I'll be happy, and you get into it, it's, it's not, it doesn't satisfy. It happens at work, you know, like our coworkers, they're a nightmare, a nightmare to work with, and then the boss, not any better. You just get treated terribly day after day after day, and you're just like, you know what? Maybe I know God has called me into this marriage, into this job. Happens in the church. We think, oh, the church, like church is supposed to be filled with amazing people or filled with love and just always gracious, always kind, always forgiving. And then you realize they're people. They got baggage just like you. And, you know, we kind of try, hey, here's my baggage. Let me dump that on you. And then it's, we, get our, we get hurt. Church is filled with disappointment. And it's easy to just quit. You know, a lot of people quit on the church. She's Jesus' bride. He died for her. He gave his life for her. One day he's going to completely cleanse her, make her perfect. He's going to live with her forever. Some people quit on the church. It's easy to quit. It's easy to not stand firm. It's easy to throw in the towel, to give up on what God has called us to do. If Israel had done that, though, they wouldn't have seen. You know, they got to witness one of the most incredible miracles in the history of the world. They, they got to witness, they got to live in the thing we're reading about today. And I remember when I was a new Christian, I just read through the Old Testament, and I, I hit things like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going through the fiery furnace, and it says not even their clothes were burned. They weren't burned. They just walked through the fiery furnace, and there's this fourth person who was with them, walking with them. And I, I remember reading it and thinking, God, can I do that? The Bible is just coming alive to me. I'm like, this is all real. God, can I, can I walk through a fire? That'd be amazing. You know, I had these daydreams about like, what if I just walk through fire? And I'm glad I didn't. They got to walk through a sea that was parted by God. And, not, and it was dry ground. Like, they didn't even get wet. It's amazing they got to experience that. They would not have experienced that had they given in to their fear. Had Moses not said, no, 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 no. Fear not. Stand still, stand firm, and see. Moses is like, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not going back. We're not giving in. We're not quitting. No, we're going to, God is going to make a way for us. God speaks. He makes a way where there is no way. Stand and see the salvation of God. You know, each of us, whatever that bondage was that you wrote down earlier, that's kind of like a slave master to us. Although Christ has objectively set us free from that, we tend to go back and subject ourselves to that master again and again and again. It's just leading us around life, having control of us because we're giving it that authority in our life. Genesis 4 talks about sin crouching at your door, tempting you, tempting you to throw your destiny away, tempting you to throw away all the good blessings that God's brought into your life. God says to the people of Israel, he says, stand firm. Don't give in. You belong to Christ now. 
Sin doesn't have power over you. Your old master doesn't have power over you. Stand in the promise of God. That's the word for some of us today. For, for some of us today, it's fear not, stand firm. Fear not, stand firm. When Satan comes to you, you know, Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. It means he spends a lot of time just accusing Christians, telling them things that aren't true, putting a little half-truths in there. You know, we're not worthy of God's love. He just loves us because he chose to love us. That's what he says over Israel. That's what he says over us. We're not worthy of his love. Satan will come and he says, you're not worthy of God's love. It's true. You're so jacked up and messed up. How could anyone love you? How could God ever love a wretch like you? Why are you trying to be a Christian? Good luck. You'll just go back. You've always been like this. You've always been that girl. You've always been that guy. You've always gone back to that problem. You can never get over this, especially if you've been a Christian for a while because you've tried the Christian thing, and then you're like, well, even now I'm still struggling. And he just speaks these lies over us again and again and again. You'll never measure up. You're not worth anything. Your life's not going anywhere. You know, there's there's this saying among young people right now. Uh, They'll take something that's like a bright color. So uh, my... Little sister did it on Instagram the other day, and I was like, oh, no, I've got to end this right now. There's T-shirts, you know, all these things, like this shirt is brighter than your future, or this post is brighter than your future, and it's like, that is a lie from hell. No, it's not. God has a destiny and a purpose on our lives, just as he did on Israel's life. He has it for us collectively and individually. But Satan would come in and say, you're not worth anything. You're such a failure as a mom. Like, how could you? You're such a terrible mother. He just makes us want to quit and quit and quit. But God comes in. He tells us to believe something different. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. Sin isn't our master anymore. Galatians 5.1, if you want to check that out. Christ set us free. Why did he do that? For freedom. Christ has set us free. You know, when you're free, it's crazy to go back and live like a slave. We've got to get the slave mentality out of us. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Christ set you free the moment you trusted in him. So Galatians, or sorry, Romans chapter 5, it's the gospel. Romans chapter 6, the question comes, well, hey, if it's all a free gift of grace, why don't we just keep on sinning? Like, I'll just do whatever I want if God's grace is enough. And and Paul's argument is, why would you return to that? Christ set you free so you could walk in freedom. So, you know, sometimes we get in our own heads and we're like, oh, I just need delivered from this sin. You don't need delivered from the sin. The moment you trusted in Christ on the cross, Jesus took the full weight and shame and guilt of our sin. In his resurrection, he defeated the powers of the evil one, on our behalf and in the person of the Holy Spirit, we have all the strength we need in Christ to walk free of sin in our lives. He defeated, he delivered in his death, his resurrection, and the pouring out of the Spirit on our lives. We don't need delivered from sin. We just need to subject ourselves to the one who brings us freedom. We need to stop going back to that yoke of slavery. It's the same thing with the law. Romans chapter 7, the next chapter. Well, then what do we do with the law? Well, the law was meant to lead you to Christ. You're not under the law anymore. You're not subjected to its demands. You're not, you don't have to measure up to the law anymore. The law, you can, based on the law, you can't merit your own salvation. No, you can only trust in Christ. Romans chapter 8, the next chapter, he says, Therefore, 
There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Condemnation doesn't belong to you if you're in Christ. He goes on to talk about life in the Spirit. How do we overcome sin and the feeling of just we're not measuring up, the feeling of I've got to perform for God's approval? We do all of that through life in the Spirit. So not to put ourselves under another yoke of slavery, but position ourselves under the yoke of Christ. So God comes to the Israelites and he says, be still, be still and see the salvation of the Lord. In that phrase, the grace message could not be clear. Stand still and see what God will do for you, how God will fight on your behalf. Not work, not strive, not somehow cause God to accept you on your own merits, not standing on self-reliance, no, standing still and watch as God fights for you. The grace message could not be clear. As a matter of fact, when he says that, man, it comes close to Romans 4, 5. It'll be on the screen for you. Romans 4, 5 says, And to the one who does not work, but believes. doesn't work. Eventually you'll work because faith will fill your heart and it'll produce good work. But to the one who doesn't work, not trying to work to get God to love you, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Be still. And stop trying to work to get God's approval. Let Christ work for you. You know, there's no other faith system in the world like Christianity. Uh, Use the sea analogy, you know, to cross the sea. Every other faith system, it's like trying to build a bridge to get across the sea. You know how you build a bridge. You put one pile on down and then build it, and then put another pile on down and build it, and another pile on down. Every other faith system in the world is like that. Whether it does it through enlightenment or or morals, being a moral person, Every other faith system, it's, you're tr- always trying to get somewhere, and you're always trying to build and improve and change yourself and self-improvement, self-help, but you never quite get there. You just are always trying to make it, but you never can. Every other faith system in the world. I haven't looked at them all, but I've looked at a number of them. Not with Christianity. Christianity, in a moment, you cross over from death to life. You know, on one side of the sea, there was death, there was slavery. On the other side, there was freedom and life. In a moment in Christianity, you cross over. It's the language John uses in his gospel, John 5, 24. In a moment, you cross over from death to life. One minute, you weren't a part of God's kingdom. The next moment, you are. One moment, you're a slave to sin and death. Another moment, you belong to Christ. One moment, you're not in the family of God. Another moment, you are. One moment, you're not justified. You're under the wrath of your sin. You're under God's judgment. Another moment, as a free gift, you're righteous, and you're free from God's judgment. This isn't something we're moving towards. This is something that happens in a moment. The moment we have faith in Christ is the moment we cross over the sea into life in Christ. So, simple question. Are you a Christian? I'll give you three options. No. I'm trying, yes. Are you a Christian? Write it on your bulletin. Am I a Christian? No, yes, I'm trying. Are you truly a Christ follower? Are you following Christ? No, yes, I'm trying. You got it? Did you write it? Did you at least think it? didn't see many pens moving. Come on now. Here's the deal. Not to, you can delete this one too so no one sees it. 
Not to pick on you. If you said I'm trying, you don't understand Christianity. You don't. Being a Christian is about the position in which you stand, not what you're trying to do. So if you're trying to be a Christ follower, I'm trying to be a Christian, you don't understand it at all because it is all a free gift of grace. Now, once we become Christ followers, yes, we set our minds towards obeying him and walking with him and loving him, but are you a Christ follower? It's either yes or it's no. Where are you standing? Do you know what side of the sea you're on? Are you on the side of the sea that is slavery and death? Or are you on the side of the sea where Christ is, where you've looked to him and you've placed yourself under his yoke and there's life and freedom for you? It changes everything when you know the answer to that question. And we need to be sure. If you're not sure, you need to be sure. And it's as simple as looking to Christ. You know, the Apostle Paul, he murdered people. I can't imagine the guilt and the shame he felt from the people that he murdered. And yet, in all of his letters, it doesn't seem he's living under that guilt and shame. How? Because he knew he crossed over. He knew what Christ had done for him, and he knew where he was standing. You and I, we need to cross over. If you haven't crossed over yet, you need to cross over today. And it's as simple as looking to Christ. You know how easy it was? Moses comes to the Red Sea, just obeying God just doing the thing God has already said to do. God has called us to put our faith in Christ. He comes to the sea and he just lifts his staff. Sea opens. They go through the sea. I mean, they're just being still, obeying God. They go through the sea. They get back. He just lifts his staff. The waters come down. All the enemies are destroyed. They weren't that impressive. (laughs) Moses didn't defeat Egypt. God did. In the same way, we just look to Christ. We look to him, he brings us through, he saves us, he rescues us. We look to him, he defeats our enemies on our behalf. It's as simple as looking to Christ. If you've never trusted in Christ, let today be the day that you say, Jesus, I'm surrendering my entire life to you. Jesus, I'm not going to live under my own yoke of self-reliance. I'm not going to live under the yoke of sin and slavery anymore. I'm going to put myself, position myself in Christ where you forgive me and you wash me clean and you give me new life. It's a decision just to step into faith in Christ, that he is Lord and that he is Savior. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. Okay, if you look at verse 22. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. You know, some of the Israelites, I bet, were walking through the sea, like the waters on their right and on their left. You know, rushing water. Like, it's not just a wall that looks like what It's actual water being a wall to them on their right and their left. I bet some of them were walking through like, dang, this is cool. They're like, come on, Egypt, get you some of this. Can't touch this. No, 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 can't touch it. You know, like, I imagine some of them were like, come on, baby, you can't, can't touch So sweet. And then some of them were probably walking through like, I'm going to die, 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 I'm going to die. You know, like just having a panic attack, wetting their pants. Like some people, they had very different demeanors, I'm sure. It's an entire nation walking through a sea that is being held up by God that will kill you if it comes down, which could happen at any moment. They had very different, I'm sure, demeanors towards what was happening. Yet, every one of them was saved. Why? Because it wasn't about the quality of their faith or how impressive they were on the journey. It was about the object of their faith. 
They were a people who belonged to God, and they were putting their faith in the one who said, I'll deliver you. Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of your God. If you trust in Christ, you will be saved. If you trust in Christ, he has delivered you from bondage to the law and from bondage to sin. And it's just a matter of walking with him, walking in the promise that he has over our life. As a famous author said, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus my own merit, my own willpower, my own fill in the blank equals nothing. None of the promises of God, none of the blessings of God, none of the joys of walking with Christ. Me trying to add anything to my salvation does not work. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Are you standing on the foundation of Christ and Christ alone? Okay, so the Israelites crossed over, but they weren't saved yet. When they got to the other side, Moses lifted his staff, and the waters returned to their normal course. Water, not only in the Bible, but in the ancient culture surrounding the Israelites at the time, water represented chaos. Therefore, when God used the flood to judge the world, he's bringing chaos. It's a a judgment of chaos. You know, water brooded over the entire earth. The Spirit of the Lord came, and he created. He created order out of chaos. Why did the chaos come? Why did that judgment come? On the flood, because the people of God turned their faces away from God. They turned their face away from creation and goodness and turned their face towards chaos and judgment. And so the flood came and it judged the people of the earth. This, this, this uh, Red Sea crossing, it might be called the 11th plague. You know, the Egyptians come down, they enter into the water, the water comes over them, the water overcomes them, and God's judgment comes onto their lives. Same thing with Jonah. Jonah was in the boat. You know, the storm of God's wrath, the, the, storm, the waters around the boat are crashing in on the boat, getting ready to sink the boat. And Jonah turns to the men on the boat. He says, throw me in to the waters. Throw me in to God's wrath, and you'll be saved. Throw me in, and you'll be saved. What did they do? They threw him in. They were saved. Now, Jonah didn't die. He went into the belly of the whale for three days and then came out. And Jesus, when he comes, he has the audacity to say, a greater than Jonah is here. Why? Because he was thrown in so that we would be saved. Except for he did die. In three days, he went into the belly of the earth. Not the belly of a whale. And on the third day, he rose, conquering Satan's sin and death once and for all. And then he ascended on high and he's giving the Spirit to anyone who trusts in his name that they might have power over Satan's sin and death until he brings them home on the final day. You see how the Exodus is really a story of salvation? It's a story of God's deliverance for God's people for all time. It's a story that's pointing us to Christ and ultimately what he would do for us and what he has done for those who have trusted in his name. As Isaiah said, Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Why was he crushed? So that we wouldn't be. You and I, we can walk in the grace of God. We can walk in salvation and deliverance today because Jesus on the cross was crushed for your sins and my sins. Have we nothing to do? No, nothing. Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Be still, church. That's what we need to do today.
be still. Quiet our hearts. Quiet the voice of Satan. Be still and see the salvation of the Lord.